Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Welcome to Boulder in the fall. So glad you guys are here. Again, if you're you're a first-time guest with us, so glad that you're here. Listen, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey today, I desire simply to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps, whatever that might mean for you. So genuinely glad that you're here. Uh, We are in the middle of a, not even in the middle, we are in the second week of a brand new series on the Holy Spirit. Who's pumped about it? Yeah, man, I'm so pumped. Who went and watched the Bible Project videos last week that I recommended? Anybody? Extra credit for Amanda. Everybody else, you failed. Yeah, sorry. Nothing for you. I got nothing for you. You can just leave right now. No, I'm just kidding. But if you want to know more on some foundational teachings, you can go to thebibleproject.com. Those guys are geniuses. Type in the Holy Spirit. Incredible video on that, and I would love for you to check that out on your own time. Uh, Not right now, because we got some stuff to do here. But I'm really glad that you're here. We uh, started off this year kind of with this vision series of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is an important question we've been asking all year. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And if you're a Jesus follower, we're walking through this together. But even if you're not a Jesus follower, how we answer this question, it matters a lot. And unfortunately, depending on where you grew up, what you've been around, what you've seen, what you've been exposed to, you might answer this question in different ways. And, and, and what's kind of unfortunate is when we answer this question in the wrong way or someone else answered it for us in the wrong way, it leads us into thinking very different ideas of what Jesus actually intended for us. So just a little quick recap. What, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Number one, we said it's about being with Jesus. It starts first with relationship. Matthew talked a lot about that. And over and over again, we talk about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. We don't try for Jesus. We don't behave for Jesus. We don't go to church to, to get Jesus to like us. We don't give money hoping that it goes toward our account so that when we die, everything kind of works out. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's a relationship that Jesus initiated that we respond to in trust and faith and we enter into because of what he's done on our behalf. It's pretty amazing, yeah? So being with Jesus is a pretty exciting part of following Jesus. But number two, it doesn't stop there. It also means becoming like Jesus and lastly, doing what Jesus did. Now, we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the year. You can go back and check out that series called Followers on our podcast and our YouTube channel. Um, But as we get into this series, we talked about all of this is being worked out in and through the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us as a gift. Now, for the first month of this series, we're going to kind of wrestle with who the Holy Spirit is, because some of you are like, what the heck are we talking about? And it's totally fine. The second month, we're going to start fleshing out all the stuff that the Spirit does in and through us. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so we're kind of working on identity right now. Like, what are we talking about? Some foundational stuff. So let me give you a word from Jesus in John 14. Listen to this. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, that's Jesus speak for listen up, pay attention, attention, like put your phone down. This is important. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. How many of us believe in Jesus in the room this morning? Anybody? Okay, that's you. Okay. And if you don't, it's okay. But for all of us that believe, he's talking to you and me. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I 
do? What kind of, kind of works, what's, what Jesus been up to at this point? Think about it. We talk about being with Jesus, yeah. Becoming like Jesus, yeah. Doing what Jesus did, what does that actually mean? Okay, well, if you're talking about the Jesus that takes naps on boats, I'm in. Right? If you're talking about the Jesus that has dinner parties with people far from God, yeah, sign me up. If you're talking about the Jesus that has dinner with his closest friends, okay, yeah, okay, dinner party napping Jesus, I can do that. But what about like wine in, or water into wine Jesus, also on board with that one, if we're, gonna, if we're just signing up for things? Yeah, man, but what about prayer all night Jesus? Ah, you know, that one, I'm just look at my schedule first, right? Or like, what about opposing religious injustice, Jesus? Or what about making disciples, Jesus? Or, or in this context specifically, when he's talking about the works that he's done, he's talking about miracles. And like, what has Jesus done? Lots and lots of miracles. So like, what about healing the sick and, and prophecy and, and casting out demons? I'm out. It's, ha- it's almost Halloween. All the creepy movies are coming out on Netflix right now. And I'm not about it. That is not my jam. I can't sleep at night. Feeding 5,000 people, what Maddie said this morning, with a couple of fish and a couple of, of uh, goldfish crackers, like is what she said, and some bread. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, if we can multiply goldfish, I'm down. Here's the deal. When Jesus says, whoever believes in me, we talked about that, you're going to do the works that I do, and check it out, greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father, context he's talking about, now he's gonna send the Holy Spirit. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, this I will do on the condition that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How does that make you feel? How do the words of Jesus sit on you this morning? Anybody like a little bit uncomfortable? Like, like do you think he meant it? Or do our Western kind of enlightened efforts read that like, yeah, 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 Jesus. What he probably means is like, you're just gonna, you know, you're actually gonna get up on time to make it to church. That's probably, you know, that's greater works these days. They're like, you're gonna read your Bible at least three times a week. Yeah, greater works. Like, do we, did he mean it or not? A little bit uncomfortable. Here's the, here's the definition we're working with starting this week. The Holy Spirit, Gordon Fee is a theologian that helps us kind of break this down. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. So when Jesus is talking about these greater works, he's not talking about it coming out of ourselves, but rather in relationship with him through the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. So again, we we talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit is God's person, his power, and his presence in our lives. We said he's in he, as in a person, not an it, not a force like Star Wars, but a living being that we are in relationship with. So we're gonna kind of go backwards. If if Jesus is talking about this, this Luke, uh, 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 14 kind of space, I'm sorry, John 14 of greater works, cool. L- let's do some backwards work and then, and then come back to that. You guys down with that? All right, here we go. So let me just give you a little bit from last week, Luke chapter four. Uh, I just kind of gave you a little bit of context last week. We talked about Jesus being 100% God, 100% man, living a perfect life like you and I can't, but, but uh, uh, um, Saul tells us that Jesus emptied himself of his divine attributes, okay, so, so he could be 100% human like you and I. And so we asked the question, how did Jesus live the life that he lived if he had emptied himself of those divine attributes? And we see it in Luke here. Jesus, this is right after his baptism, full of, not himself, I guess it is kind of himself. Huh, I never thought about that. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty funny, guys. Anybody? No? Oh, man, that's so good. We should be full of ourselves, but Jesus can be full of himself. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. All right, here we go. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, we see after the temptation in the wilderness, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, I didn't give you this last week, but we talked about, okay, this is Luke saying, hey, Jesus did all this stuff in the power of the Spirit, but check out Luke 4, 16. Here we go. Jesus comes uh, to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This is hundreds of years before Jesus, this prophecy he's about to read. He unrolls the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is what he reads out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He goes on. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and sits down. And the eyes of everyone is fixed on him. And then Jesus says to them, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is crazy. Because in this moment, this is Jesus and Luke then helping us understand that Jesus is not only God in the bod like we talked about, but he is the very promise of this prophecy, the promise they've been looking forward to for a really long time. Jesus is saying this thing is happening right now through me. And this is a pretty big deal because Luke is also acknowledging that all of this Messiah stuff, this anointed one language that Jesus is starting to do, he's doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it started with Isaiah, right? What the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So here's what's really interesting about why, the reason we're reading this is because right after Luke 4 here, you guys take, pick it up on your own time. Go pick up Luke this week. Luke is awesome. He's a doctor, super smart guy, accounting for the life of Jesus. But right after this, we see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle and amazing things happening in the life of Jesus after his baptism, after he, we see the Holy Spirit fall on him. We see all of these miraculous things happening. Now, there are two ways of reading what follows in Luke. And you and I are in this awesome post-enlightenment Western American mindset. And, and the first way that we read it, you've probably been conditioned to read it, it's the way that Americans have been reading it for like the last 300 years because of the enlightenment, is we read this as proof that Jesus was God which is not like a shocker. Like, okay, so Jesus shows up and he's healing the sick and the blind. And the, I mean, all these amazing things are happening. And, and we read that as proof that Jesus was God. And, and what you, you might know this, but I just need you to kind of think with me for a second. Pre-enlightenment, the entire world carried a more spiritual world view. And so with the enlightenment came kind of these scientific principles that came into play. So, so pre-enlightenment, what happened? The sun would come up and people would thank the gods or, or, or God or you know, whatever their, their, their belief system was for, for making the sunrise or the sunset or the rain to fall, right? Everything was kind of spiritual. But then the enlightenment rolls around and we're like, actually, everything kind of works in a scientific system and the sun, you know, it, it's rotating on an axis and we got the world and the really fast and all that, you know, we got all that cool stuff happening and we have seasons and everything kind of fits into a formula for us. And so all of a sudden there's this divide in our thinking of natural and supernatural, that the sun rising and setting is not really a supernatural phenomenon, which none of us are surprised by. We're like, yeah, got that. 
We all know the world is flat, right? It's a joke. All right, cool. We'll keep going. Sorry if I offended you. Um, it's just normal events, right? Like much of what would have been attributed as supernatural pre-enlightenment, now we're just like, you know what, this is just normal, how things are wired into the fabric of reality. And so what happens with the enlightenment, and you're, you're familiar with this, is all of a sudden all these people are saying, you know what, we don't really believe in the supernatural because there's no, there's no need for it anymore. The world runs on science, and so it's, if it's, it's not proven, then you know, it's not really there. And so then the conclusion, naturally, as, as the Enlightenment rolls around, is a lot of people start saying, well, then Jesus wasn't God. And then like Christians do, they start to freak out and try to find reasons for like, oh no, like what do we do? And so what, what happens is then Jesus followers respond to the Enlightenment period with this big idea, yo, 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 listen, 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 read the Gospels. Jesus does miracles, therefore Jesus was God. And so, so because miracles don't fit within the normal rhythm of what we understand in our normal operating, any miraculous piece must be extra or super natural outside of what, what we see. And so when we see Jesus do miracles, it's gotta be evidence of him being God. Now that's great and it's, and it's true to a degree. The problem is all sorts of people do miracles in the scriptures, don't they? You ever thought about that? So, so it's, it's fine thinking and it's in response to the enlightenment, I understand where it comes from. But what we don't give thought to is what about all the people in the Old Testament and the New who weren't Jesus who did miracles? There's a guy named Elijah in the Old Testament, right? He did all kinds of crazy, amazing things. Kind of mirrors a lot of what Jesus do, does. But, but we don't believe that, that Elijah is the son of God, do we? Right? We, we don't worship Elijah. We don't attribute to him this idea of savior of the world, a Messiah, a Messiah anointed one. Only Jesus gets that title. Now, now, part of it is Elijah's fallible and he's broken like you and I and Jesus was sinless unlike you and I are. So, I mean, Jesus has some other stuff going for him. That whole resurrection at the end thing, that's a pretty big one, right? It's kind of like the punctuation of all the other pieces. But the point is, even in the New Testament, right, there's a bunch of other people who are doing miraculous stuff. And so it just doesn't fit into this very small category that it only means Jesus was God. Here's the second way that we can read what follows. We could read what follows in Luke, in, uh, in Luke 4 as signs of King Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God. So yes, the miracles point to evidence that Jesus was who he said he was, but it also points to Jesus as king ushering in this promise of his kingdom. Again, the resurrection is what's gonna punctuate Jesus proving that he was who he said he was. We don't, we don't believe that Jesus is God because the Bible says, or your mama says, we believe that Jesus was God because of his resurrection from the dead. It's really important. And so when you work that logic backwards, I'm just trying to make a, a very, very simple point here that the enlightenment kind of puts the miraculous in a category where like, oh, that's not for us. The problem is it doesn't just fit into the category of Jesus. Now, now you, see, you might ask the question like, okay, yeah, Jesus is God, but why is this conversation important? Because Jesus is not only savior of the world, he is that, but he's also our example. That what we see in Jesus when he limits himself of his divine attributes and lives fully human, you might ask, why did he have to do that? Because Jesus is not only living the life that you and I can't live on our own in order to make us right with God, but he's also setting forth an example of what it means to live fully human, walking in the power of the Spirit in relationship with God. He shows us exactly what it looks like to walk in this relationship. So let's go back to John 14 really fast. 
Again, there it is. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father is glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, so greater works. You've got to ask the question, first of all, did Jesus mean it here? And, and secondly, what does that mean for us. Now, the leading theory here is that Jesus probably meant greater in quantity, not quality. That in this moment, because Jesus was in a physical body, in a physical place, right, he couldn't be all over the place at once, but now with his church and his, literally his, his body, right, over and over again, the church is called his body, so his body is now all over the, over the world. In, in some ways, there are greater works being done through all of the millions of Jesus followers on the planet today. That's true. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who's, you know, resurrected themselves from the dead. Like, I don't know, you know, if that fits in our category of, like, doing the things that Jesus did. Probably not. So that's the leading theory, but in addition, here's, here's what's clear. Whatever Jesus means by greater, he probably doesn't mean lesser. You guys with me? Like, like, like I don't know what he means by it, but he probably doesn't mean lesser. And you, you got to ask the question, like, okay, Jesus, How? Let's just say, uh, greater in quantity, uh, how do we do it? He goes on and he says, whatever you ask in my name, and, and this is really important because in ancient, ancient like Near Eastern culture, your name was, was like connected to your nature and your character. So to pray in Jesus' name, this is not like you know, Jesus in a bottle for you, and you just got a little genie prayer up, Jesus do this thing for me, right? He's like, hey, when you pray according to my name, my character, my nature, so when we pray things according to his will and his work and his mission in our lives and in the world, he says, I'm gonna do those things for you as long as you pray in accordance. And we gotta ask the question, how? How does this all work? And then after this, in verse 17 and 16, you can go read it for yourself, Jesus says, it's by the Holy Spirit because I'm sending him to you and he will be in you. How are we going to do it? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you believe in me, you'll do the kind of stuff I've been doing because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. It's pretty big, yeah? So, if you're uncomfortable, welcome to the club. Acts chapter 1, let's go just a little further, okay? Let me just show you what happens after this. Just a little bit of history. But you will receive power. This is right after Jesus' resurrection. You will receive power. What, what are we receiving? Power, this is the word in Greek, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. So is there power in relationship with God? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. One of the results of the Spirit is Jesus living his life in and through us so other people can come to know him. It's not just a selfish ambition, you know, Holy Spirit help me in my life, make me comfortable, but it's connected to God's mission. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is kind of a, a geographical spacing of Jesus' mission moving forward. So this is Jesus' promise. After his resurrection, the Holy Spirit will come in power on you. And then sure enough, in Acts chapter 2, you guys go read all this for yourself. Acts 2, what happens? Holy Spirit shows up on everyone. No special elite. Everyone that's following Jesus in the moment, they receive the Holy Spirit. And from there, we see it catch like wildfire. Acts chapter 3 and 4, what happens? An amazing story. Peter, one of the apostles, is walking, and there's this guy at a gate, and he's been lame since birth. And Jesus says, you know, I don't have a lot of, or Peter says, I don't have money, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. Puts his hand out. The dude's ankles are made strong. He stands up. Miraculous healing. Everyone's freaking out. Religious leaders try to kill him because that doesn't fit into their, their categories of what's what's allowed to be happening in this space. And so we see immediately through Peter a miracle, uh, just on the, on the heels of what happens here. And then Acts chapter 5, we see again, check this out, 
Acts chapter five, right after this moment. Now many signs and wonders, how many? Many, as in maybe more than one or two, a lot of signs and wonders were regularly, how often? Regularly, oh, dang it, right? This is, I just want you to know my entire theological just perspective has been blown up. Listen guys, I went to community college, okay? Not, actually I went to, anyway. I have, I, have, I have a couple degrees, not more than Fahrenheit, but a couple, you know what I'm saying. So, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, for what it's worth, the apostles kind of had this special thing going on. We're not apostles. The apostles don't exist modern day today. So, this is an argument most of the time. Oh, yeah, well, they were the apostles. So, of course, it's happening through them. Keep reading. More than, uh, more than ever, uh, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. This is crazy. Laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. No one's waiting outside my house waiting for my shadow to pass them. I just let you know, right? So, so you get it. You're like, okay, cool. That's, you know, that, it, we can keep it in the scriptures and in the Bible, but like, I have no idea how that relates to me. Okay, that's fair. That's the apostles. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Uh, check it out. Then they choose this guy named Stephen. Now, Stephen's not an apostle, just a regular dude, but look what they say about him. Stephen is just a regular follower of Jesus, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, which is no surprise because all of them received it, but there's something evident about Stephen's life. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here's this regular dude, not an apostle, doing signs and wonders, okay? But then go on. Now, you might say, okay, well, this is all really early, like, on, on the scene. Like, all that stuff has kind of faded out. Batteries are wearing down on the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't have all of this now. Fast forward about a decade over to Acts chapter 8. Check this out. There's another guy named Philip. Another normal dude, just like you and me, he goes down to the city of Samaria and he proclaims to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord, they're paying attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. So he's not only boldly proclaiming Jesus, but also he's doing signs and wonders. And listen, listen, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in that city here's another normal dude living out the doing what jesus did part of following jesus does this bother anybody like it bothers me I'm like ah i don't know what to do here's why i'm telling you all of this i'm not I'm not saying you should go down to the city morgue and try to raise the dead this afternoon, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Don't go to the hospital wing and start trying to lay hands on people and be weird. Don't do that, okay? I want you to see a pattern that over and over again, the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus, was on Peter, was on Philip, is on you and me. That's all I want you to see. You guys see the pattern? Okay, it's the same Holy Spirit. And, and, all over the world, here's where we get in kind of trouble on, on this space, is, is the problem with our thinking in the Enlightenment is all over the world right now, and especially in the developing world, there are stories everywhere of the miraculous happening. People meeting Jesus in dreams, people being healed. We just got back from India, and the stories are everywhere, and they're normal. And, and I think we just have to be humble enough to recognize where we grew up, where we live, and how our thinking has been shaped and formed up against what we see in the scriptures. Now, I'm a skeptic on a good day. Okay? And so I'm with you in this book. I told you at the beginning of this series that I can't lead you where I've never been, and so we're on a journey together. Now, I want to acknowledge that clearly God was up to something special and unique through like the apostles, yes, but what about all of the others and down through church history and all over the world currently when it comes to this power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us? Okay? 
Is your brain kind of spinning yet with me? All right, so here, let me just kind of back it up to where you are today. You're like, okay, Drake, that's great, but I don't, I don't feel that kind of power in my life. Like, like I, don't, I don't even feel like I hear God's voice, much less any of this other, like, kind of stretching stuff. Like, when I read my Bible, if I read my Bible, you know, I mean, that's up to debate on time, but, like, even when I do it, I don't know that I've ever heard God's voice or haven't had an impression for God or however you want to, you know, what do you want to call it? You know, we start talking about weird stuff. I'm not even sure I believe in demonic possession. Like, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. And, and so you're like, man, I, all of that is so far over here. And it's not exactly on the top of my priority list because like, I don't feel like I have God's power in my life. Like, I can't even get free from porn. I can't even get free from depression or greed or anger or pride or selfish ambition, much less any of this kind of power. And so this is where, I don't know where you're walking in today, but this is where the Holy Spirit as a person is really, really important. Last week I told you the stat that over half of American Jesus followers to date think of the Holy Spirit as a force, not a person. Now here's what I told you last week, I'm gonna share with you again, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a power we wield. The force is not strong with a few, like we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit is a person that we have a relationship with. This is really important. I don't want you to miss it. There is power. There is power, but it's a person's power, not a force. Does that make sense? Think about it. There is power. Jesus said, Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, there is power, but it's a person's power. Seth and I, uh, one of our staff members, we work out every day throughout the week. You might not notice it, but you know, we do. We go. And uh, um, every day we work out, and let it be known, me and Seth, I mean, we're in there grinding, sweating our guts out early in the morning. It's awesome, and we're doing that thing, um, and I'm lifting like everything Seth is lifting like to par. Now, he might be holding back to make me feel better. He's never said that out loud, but right now, like we're benching the same, and we're, you know, pulling the same, and all the things, but on leg day, Man, it's a depressing day for me, guys. On leg day, Seth was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to warm up with 225. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> I'm going to do some air squats. <laughs> you know, like, and, and on leg day, immediately, Seth starts with more weight than I ever get to. <laughs> I'm like, that's just not fair. Now, he's like a foot short, shorter than me, so maybe that, you know, maybe center of gravity. No. He's just got strong legs, and I have little skinny, you know, toothpick legs. So um, we, we go and we do squats, and, and here's what I've learned thanks to squat day uh, with, with Seth, is that when I need power to move something, and it seems like I always have something heavy to move. You ever notice that? It's weird. Always some heavy furniture or something to move. When I need some power to move a couch or to move a heavy desk or a table or a, a motorcycle, I don't summon the power of Seth Kester into my legs and just channel all of that awesome deep squat energy he has so I can lift a couch. What do I do? I just like text Seth <laughs> and say, hey, will you come help me move this couch? And by borrowing Seth's awesome squatting abilities, he does like 90%, I do 10, and then we move the couch together. It's Seth and I working in tandem. We partner to move the couch. Seth and I have a relationship, and because we have a relationship, I can call on him and his really nice glutes to help a brother out. You guys with me? In the same way, as we grow, that might be a terrible example, but it's the best one I got today. As we grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit, we also grow in relation to his power in our lives. Does it make sense? We are leaning on a person's power, not 
a force or just kind of this hyper-emotional vigilance that we try to work ourselves up into. And some of you have been taught to think in this emotional sense of spirituality. So here, here, listen, if relationship is the core of what we're talking about, then there is a reciprocity between how we live and the power that we experience in our lives. There's a reciprocity between our relationship and then what we experience. Does this make sense to you guys? So here's a formula that I wanna share with you as we close out our time. This formula I stole from John Mark Comer. I'm not this smart, and if you don't like it, then you can blame him, okay? But this formula was actually really helpful for me in thinking about what we're talking about. So when it comes to experiencing the power of God in our lives, whether it's power over sin, it's power to be bold and love others well, it's power to push down our selfishness and then to start to follow Jesus and love others, well, whatever it is, this formula is a helpful way to think about what we're talking about. And so here, here it is. Intimacy with God plus holiness plus faith is how we see an increasing amount of power in our lives related to the Holy Spirit's work in and through us. Now, before you freak out, let me just show you the breakdown. This is, this is pretty awesome. Intimacy with God, what is that? Be with Jesus. Holiness. Become like Jesus. Faith. Do what Jesus did. We've been talking about it all year. And I want, I want to break this down for you in just a second because I think this is a really powerful paradigm for you and I to understand. So the first one is, is intimacy with God. If you and I want to experience the power of God working in and through our lives, it starts with intimacy to be with Jesus. And we've talked about this, how to walk closely with God, right? Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, abide in me, make your home with me, stay with me. Or Paul said it this way, he said, if we live by the Spirit, we're made alive through the Spirit's power, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Some of you have been scarred for life by me and Isaac skipping across this stage together. <laughs> if you weren't here at the beginning of the series, you can go check it out on YouTube, it's glorious. But we talked about, right, if the Holy Spirit is a person, Paul's encouraging us, we keep in step with its relationship, its intimacy. And we talked about how to cultivate that, right? This is not something we receive by osmosis. So then through scripture and prayer and, and gathering large groups and small groups, all these spaces, we cultivate intimacy just like any other relationship in your life. Listen to this quote by John Wimber. He said, when I speak of listening to God's voice, he says, I mean developing a practice of communion with the Father. That, that word means sharing, like sharing life together, in which we are constantly asking, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How do you want to use me? How, how should I pray? Whom do you want me to evangel evangelize or to share the good news with? Is there someone you want to heal? And he goes on, and he's talking about this relationship. He says, sometimes... The Holy Spirit gives me specific insights about people for whom I'm praying. These come as impressions, specific words, pictures in my mind's eye, physical sensations in my body that correspond to problems in their bodies. These impressions, they help me to know who and what to pray for as well as how to pray. Now listen to this. I do not imply that I have an infallible hotline to God that I always hear His voice and follow His leading. But... I am open to God, listening to him, 
confident that he wants to lead us to minister or to serve others. Intimacy with God is where it starts. And we talk about this all the time, cultivating it daily, and it's not an obligation, it's an invitation. The second thing in the formula is holiness. And this, we gotta be careful here, right? This becoming like Jesus, that part doesn't bother us. This word, you might have an allergic reaction to, depending on how you grew up. But Jesus called the Spirit, what? The Holy Spirit. That's not an accident. That word holy for you and I, it means to be set apart, specifically in the context of Christianity, to be set apart for God's purposes. So it's not just intimacy with God, it's also holiness that informs how much we experience the presence and power of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I genuinely don't like this part. I wish it was just like, oh, God's gonna do what he's gonna do, we can live however we want, it doesn't matter, and we're just gonna kind of be with the flow of however things work out, but that's not the kingdom. And that's not what it looks like to become like Jesus. So to be set apart, what are we talking about? I don't want you to be discouraged today. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to understand the invitation from Jesus to be set apart for things and from things. The scriptures would use the words of, of being set apart from the world, and that's not like the world that we live in, but like the systems of thinking that are opposing the love of God and people according to God's definition of love. And so what the invitation of holiness when we're following Jesus is saying no to the world's systems of thinking like greed and hate and racism and gossip and slander and lust and porn and sexual immorality and lying and anger and selfish ambition and pride and right, all the things. We're saying no to that and acknowledging that how we live matters and Jesus invites us into a, a, a different way of living. And so then how, how we do money and how we do sexuality and how we do relationships and how we do community and how we do marriage and family and parenting and conflict and vocation and you just start filling in the blanks. It's different. It's not, it's not better. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. It's all in humility and invitation to follow Jesus. It is set apart from some things, but don't miss that it's also set apart for for God and for a, a relationship that's cultivated through prayer and fasting and scripture reading and silence and solitude and simplicity and generosity and justice and serving the, 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 those in need. I mean, right, we, we, we do this all the time, but holiness is a contributor on both sides. There are things that we do to embrace holiness and there are things that we don't do to embrace holiness. And you might be freaking out. You're like, man, that sounds like a lot. And I knew it. I, I knew there was like this list thing to following Jesus. I knew it was too good to be true. Jesus said, listen, if you're overwhelmed by the list, hear the simplicity in it. You want to know what it looks like to live a life of holiness? He says, you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love people like you love yourself. That's what it means to be holy. Not, not my definition of love and not your definition of love. Not GQ's definition of love, God's defi definition of love. And with that comes a life of holiness. There is a symbiotic relationship between our holiness and the experience of God's presence and power in our lives. And I don't love that, I'll be honest. But this is the rhythm of the kingdom, of hearing and obeying. And it's still invitational, right? Jesus is a shepherd, not a cowboy. He's not driving us to this life. He is leading us. And we talk about it all the time. Do we believe that Jesus is good, that what he's inviting us into is true, that his way of life and thinking about what it means to be truly human is actually good for us? 
because it's the only reason we're going to step into it. But I probably shouldn't be like shocked that I disagree with God at times. But I should also remind myself that I'm not God. <laughs> Here's the last thing. Faith. Right, to do what Jesus did. You just can't get around this one, right? Like 26 of the 29 healing stories that we see in the Gospels of Jesus' life, faith is mentioned. There is this connection, a relationship between what we believe God can and will do and what he actually does. Miracle working faith, for example, it believes that God is genuinely eager for the working of miracles. We trust his heart as a good father, like Jesus would say who doesn't want to hold back good gifts for his kids. And so this is not an invitation to work yourself up emotionally and try to, <laughs> I don't even, right? It's, it's not that. It's just trust in his character and his goodness and his presence and his power. Here, here's the invitation today. How bad do we want the presence and power of God in our lives. Because it's all invitational. Don't miss the heart. It's fueled out of humility that I don't have all my stuff together and I need God and it's fueled out of love, that his love is genuinely so amazing that I want to step into what he has for me. I'm not performing for him. I'm not behaving for him. He doesn't love me more or less based on what I show up with on the table. But this relationship is influenced by. The experience of his power in my life is influenced by intimacy with him, my following him, the holiness that I choose to let him work in and through my life, and my trust in him. Can I give you a story? When we were in India, we're praying in a room together, and uh, we're going to go out and do some street evangelism, which sounds really weird to us, but it's not there. And we're just going to go share the, share the good news in the, in the streets of India. And we're in the room praying, and we just ask, God, would you reveal to us your agenda? Like, what, what is it that you're already up to, and what do you want to do? And I'm, I'm skeptical, okay, guys? And so we just say, hey, God, would you give us a word? Just give us, an, just give us anything of what you want to do. And at the end of the prayer, one of the guys that's with me, he says, hey, um, I had a vision of, of, like, this really successful businessman, just kind of this picture in my mind's eye. And I'm like, okay cool. <laughs> I don't know. Cool. Great. So we go out in the streets and we're walking around. He's my, he's my buddy, my, my partner in all of this, and um, walking around, having a lot of conversations. No, no, no real traction. And all of a sudden, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I'm like, hey, hey, on the way to where we're going, can we stop by the Starbucks real fast and I'm going to uh, go use the bathroom, right? It's like slum shack, Starbucks, slum shack, restaurant, you know, it's, it's like that in India. And so we pass the Starbucks and I go in, there's a huge line and this guy turns around and looks at me. He's, an, he's like a middle-aged gentleman. And I always say hello, because I'm, I'm a white American and I stand out like a sore throat thumb. And, you know, I'm like, hey. And I, I get to meet him. And it turns out that he's like this really successful businessman, like basically the equivalent of a Fortune 500, uh, 500 company here in America, like really, really well-off businessman in his, his middle age. And we start talking. And all of a sudden, God opens this door. We're standing in a bathroom line. <laughs> and this conversation gets so to the point that he and I step out of the line and we continue this conversation and he's telling me about his Hindu beliefs and he says, you know, I, you know, I grew up Hindu but I don't really believe any of these idols are a God. I think God is bigger than that. 
They think God is way too big to be just an idol. And, and I don't think that people are gods either. I think that God uses messengers, like people to communicate himself, but, but, but he doesn't, like, no one's a god. And like, he sets all this up, and I'm standing there listening, and I'm like mind blown. And it, and it occurs to me that the guy that we just, like, we were just there, and he had a vision of the businessman, and I'm standing in a bathroom line, and I got to pee, but now I'm talking to this guy, and I'm like, are you kidding, God? Like, you set it up in a bathroom line? That's just, you can't make that up, right? It's not very fancy and glamorous. And I'm just listening, and I'm like, holy cow, God. And so I, these words come into my mind, and I'm just like, well, sh faith, right? Gonna go for it. Let's just see what happens. And I said, what if I, what if I told you that I believe that, I believe you're right, that God is way bigger than any of this. And I believe that God does send messengers to make himself known. And what if I told you that me and some friends were just in a room praying, asking God who he wanted to reveal himself to today, and my friend had a vision of you, and God sent me as a messenger to tell you not only that he loves you, but he sent Jesus to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. And like, his eyes are freaking out, my eyes are freaking out, and I'm trying to play it cool, play it cool, play it cool, play it cool, but I'm like, are you kidding me? And, all, and in this moment, this guy, his mind is blown, and my mind is blown, and I'm like, I don't even have a category for this. Faith, it's just, it's just risking enough, right? It could have fallen flat on its face, but instead it turned into a conversation. We shared numbers, we connected him with the team there in India, and they're following up with him. God orchestrated an entire conversation all because we chose to listen, just to be open. Listen, I don't know what God wants to do. I'm not saying that it always has to be crazy like that. I'm just letting you know, man, around the world things are happening that just don't fit in our little comfortable American box. And so I don't know what it is that God wants to do in and through you and I today, but the question that, you, that I have for us is how bad do we want the presence and power of God in our lives? And some of you, you're, you're just stuck because there's something that's just been just dominating you that you need forgiveness of or you need healing from or you need to be set free from, and I get it. And so whatever God wants to do, I just want our hearts to be open to him today. So here's the invitation. A couple of questions for you. Maybe it's just intimacy with God that needs to be prioritized. Maybe that's just a gap for you. It's not super intimidating, but it's just not a priority. Or maybe it's kind of a priority, but it's a constant struggle. And listen, you're not alone in that. Priority time with God daily is a challenge and it's not a mistake that it would be a challenge. Maybe it's growing in holiness. Maybe God has put his finger or his hand on something that you know you need to turn over. We were at night of worship and prayer on Friday night and God put his hand on a, on a sin in my life that I had to repent of publicly to Seth. I just want it more. And he's a safe person for me. Or maybe it's just having faith and risk. Part, part of faith is just risking and being willing to trust that God is who he said he is and he wants to do what he said he's gonna do in our lives. Some of you, you're not followers of Jesus in the room, and it doesn't start with all of this. Faith is simply trusting that God loves you, and he sent Jesus to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. Maybe that's where you need to start today. So let's go on this journey together. Let's prioritize intimacy this week. Let's grow in holiness this week, and let's have the faith to ask God to work in and through us. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for our time today. Thank you for these incredible people that you love so very much. Thank you that you would, uh, you would send me halfway across the world to share with a businessman in a Starbucks line about your love for him. Thank you that you would 
want to send us across our streets to our neighbors, across our cubicles to our coworkers, to our family members, to our children. But thank you before you sent us, God, you sent Jesus, that we don't have to work our way to you, but you came all the way to us. This incredible love that's been proven and demonstrated, that before we ever desired you, you desired us. And by trusting in you, we experience new life and forgiveness and healing, and we receive the Holy Spirit. God, would you, would you awaken our hearts and minds to the reality that this is a relationship we get to cultivate, that through intimacy, and letting you shape us more into your image, and by trusting you, you want to do in, more in and through, through us than we can ask or imagine. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know what you meant by greater, but I know you meant it. So wherever we, we need to trust in you today, Jesus, we, we surrender that to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room and you're just kind of reflecting and chewing on some of this, I, I want you to know today you can make the decision to trust in Jesus, to give him your life, to respond in faith. And he will save you, he will forgive you, he will make you new, and he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said will be in you to give you the power to live the life that he's calling you to live. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. It's you know we pray. Amen.